house of God this morning. Feel something that I have grown to be addicted to, feeling his rich presence, one that changed my life. I can assure you that if anybody here is looking for something or someone, that when you walk in their presence, when you feel them, it causes you to tear in the eye and something with inside of you to say, this is exactly what I live for. You're in the right place this morning. If you need something different than what you currently have, you're in the right place. And it's evident that you believe in God and His existence and that His Word is true. Otherwise, you would not be in the house of God. He has asked you to be in this house, and you have answered. Amen, amen. As I said, such a rich presence, and I love being here and feeling it. And the children of God reaching out and talking to God is no better place you could ever be. You couldn't be in a stadium. You couldn't be in a room with people of like-minded that are just talking about books. But let me tell you what, the emotion, the feeling, it's more than just the spine just tingling and things going on, but it's something that changed me. It's something that I can identify with. It's something that I love and will defend. It's called truth. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Starting in verse 26, I'm just going to read a brief text. And it says in verse 26, Shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passes over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. The people bowed the head and worshiped. Amen, amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to touch us this morning to anoint our ears to hear the word of God? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God. More than anything, God, I want to preach to every one of us. Preach to my soul, God. Let myself step out of the way, God, and your word speak to us. Allow us, God, to walk in your presence continually today, God. We ask that lives be changed minister to God. Give them something to give them hope. Give your word to them, God. We ask you, Master, to touch us. Anoint us, God. We want to walk with you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to us this morning about the application of Christ. The application of Christ. Several months ago, we were in a communion service, and what a beautiful, beautiful service they are, and some people are afraid of them. Some people say, I don't, I don't want to go up there, and I don't want to uh, partake of communion because I'm not right, but I tell you, communion and the Passover, what we represent, of what it will go to, and I'll get to that here in just a moment, but it is something that's exciting for us. It's an opportunity to be in His presence once again. It's not judgment. But it's Him blessing us with His presence. But I want to talk to us today about the Passover of Christ and the application of Him in it. The Passover celebrated the deliverance from Egypt, as we read in our text, and from the tenth plague of the death of the firstborn. Now this really doesn't speak to me much because I'm not the firstborn in my family. I'm not the oldest son in my family. But my brother can identify when he hears 
the message preached and he says, listen, that would be me if I was in that time. That would be my life that was preserved by the hand of God. And I'm sure there are some of those that are among us today that are the firstborns in our families. Looking back and we can say, oh, well, that's just Old Testament. Let me tell you, if you'd have been there and you were firstborn and you were not a part of the children of Israel, guess what? You were dead. I don't have time to go through the whole passage, but we see that it applies today. It had a specific starting calendar day and lasted for eight days, the Passover. It had specific laws how to conduct the Passover and was starting on a weekday. And there was many things that happened with the Passover. Uh, there was a much preparation during the Passover. The head of the household, the father, went through and searched the house and cleansed it and made sure everything was clean. And we apply that same principle for us during communion. It was to eliminate the leaven and an active symbol of the need to eliminate corruption from the life of the family and thus from the individual. We find that the Passover, it commemorated a victory. It was something that it said, listen, we are free from the bondage of Egypt. The word salvation can also be in its meaning translated as victory. Something that I find very interesting, and we don't get into this too much, but the Orthodox Jewish service for the Passover, it reads at one point, May he who is most merciful break the yoke of our captivity from off our neck and lead us securely to our land. This is very future-oriented faith. One who expects victory. Some of us, we pray, we don't expect an answer. They are just merely words to appease an action that we've become accustomed to. Lift our hands and pray. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you. And you're done. But when it comes to talking to God, words mean something. They're just not meaningless letters placed together that form within your vocabulary that say, I love you. I truly love God. I love my family. Love is so overrated. It's just a word nowadays. It's cast away. It means nothing until you need it, until your marriage is hanging by one word, do you love me? And the words that come out of the mouth, yes, I do, or it's faded and gone, we're done with. Words mean something. When we pray, make them mean something. Make them mean that God, I need you to heal me. And he's there to heal you because you expect him. God is a keeper, and I was remiss last week to testify, and I had put it in my mind. I said, God, I want to thank you for this opportunity. And uh, two weeks ago, I was driving, and we were traveling back, and we were in the narrow roads of uh, Louisiana, driving down the road in the middle of, I think it was around 530 in the morning, coming back home. And my boss, we were driving, he was driving, I was riding, and uh, he goes, you know what, Douglas, this is a very, very dangerous highway. He goes, people get killed here all the time. I said, well, man, let's, let's get off of it. You have no other option. You have to take this road to get out of where I was at. And uh, five minutes later, we're driving down the road. I'm sitting there, not even paying attention. All of a sudden, I look up, and there's headlights coming straight at us in a curve. And next to it was a semi. You could tell just by the, the headlights there was a large truck. We're in a curve heading north. He's in a curve heading south. There's nothing but trees that border us. All of a sudden, he slams on the brakes. I said, look out. 
and we hit the, the shoulder, and this car just misses us by inches, Brother Brandon. It was, I was so scared, so scared I could not even speak. It was words, couldn't even formulate. It was as if it was shocking news of you're dying. And it was just, we just sat there. Neither one of us could say anything for about five minutes. We just sat there and we drove. He says, that is exactly what I'm talking about. The next day, Monday, this past Monday, I came into work. He says, you know what, where we're at? He goes, that very same next morning, Saturday morning, a family was killed with a head-on collision on that very same stretch of highway. I said, God is so good. And it wasn't just, oh, you're good, brother. No, it was God is so very good. He's a keeper. He's one who takes care of us. He's one that has his hand on us. He is my God. When he says, I shall supply all your need, he's saying, I will provide for you. I'll keep you. I'll be your friend. Anything you can imagine. They're words that mean something. When he says, I will, he means, I will. This week, I, this is not in my notes, but I feel compelled to tell you I was going through an immense amount of pain these last two weeks. I have just been, can hardly walk, I can't sit. The only relief I have is laying flat on my back. And I promise you, it's, the pain is so intense to distraction. And this Thursday and Wednesday and Thursday, I went for several MRIs and um, they gave me the results on Friday. The doctor called me and says, listen, he goes, you got something wrong with your back. He goes, between... Uh, seven and eight vertebrae, you have a disc that has slipped out of position. It's always on the right side. And he goes, and your left, and the one on the bottom of that, on the left side, has slipped out. And you have a very serious problem. He goes, and I said, well, doctor, what is my options? What can I do? And, and uh, I said, you know, because I don't want to live with this pain. I promise you it's unbearable. And I'm, I'm not going to be addicted to pain pills and the things that a lot of people rely on. He says, well, you have a couple of options. You can deal with the pain, you can take pain pills or surgery. That is your only options. And he says, until you lose functionality of your lower body and become pretty much paralyzed, surgery is not going to happen. I said, okay, we'll just see what happens. I said, you know what, doctor, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. He said, okay, I'll let you do that. He goes, I won't make you do anything you're not comfortable with. So I was talking to some ministers the other day, Friday and Saturday, and they asked how I was doing I said, I'm doing all right. And they said, you know what, we're going to pray for you. I said, you know what, I, I appreciate it. It means something to me. You'll take time and do that. And as I got up this morning, I was like, God, I, I, there's no way I can get up and preach, teach, and be under the influence of pain pills and medicine. And I want to be your mouthpiece, not the drug or the doctor that's given to me. And it alters your thinking and makes you feel lethargic. And you're not yourself. You're, you feel like, oh, this is not me. And I said, God, I, I refuse to take any pain pills to take care of this issue. The doctor says it's there. And, and so I woke up this morning, and I was like, well, everything's feeling good, and everything was just fine, but that's normal. Every morning I get up, and about 30 minutes later, the pain is so intense driving to work that I just got to lay back and just take it easy. And I got up this morning, and, and I kept studying, going through everything early this morning, sitting in my chair, got up, got dressed, showered, got ready, walked in the house of God, sat down and studied some more. I feel absolutely no pain in my back. When someone says, I'll pray for you, I believe they're talking to the right person. When they says, hey, congregation, let's talk to God about this need, I, I believe they're talking to the master that can heal, the one who can take care of diseases and sicknesses and put lives back together, the one that more importantly can forgive. You sit here today with a broken heart and sins 
piled up upon your back and you don't know what's going to happen, I promise you, the one who can deliver is here today and I will talk to him on your behalf. More importantly, you can just say, God, can you touch me today? And he can fill you with the richness and the powerful Holy Ghost. Words mean something. We find that in Exodus chapter 13, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for the Christian Passover, we often read this scripture. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It puts us in the mind of the benefits of Christ's death. We know we are recipients of the promise of God. We believe that by being baptized in his name and in the Lord's death and resurrection, it means something. And we say, because he lives, everything in the word of God is for me. Because he rose from the grave, it's not just words that you find in a fortune cookie or someone puts them on Twitter, but they're words that live. Words that you can speak and they change your life. The word of God. Because he lives. The death of the firstborn. In Exodus chapter 13, we read about all the firstborn. What swear openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of the man and beast, it is mine. He's saying, anybody, firstborn, animal, and in the family, you're mine. I'm going to claim you for me. For me. And, and we find where we go through the whole Passover and everything where they applied the blood of the, of the uh, sacrifice on the doorpost and the death angel passed over. And, but I want to focus on something in this ceremony that I've never heard anybody really speak of. And, and I want to bring it to light if I can, if God will give me the wisdom. In the scripture, in the text that we read today, in 26, Exodus 12 and 26, 6, and it says, And it shall come to pass, when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? What mean ye by this service? I begin to dig into some of their customs and go into some of the, the things that the Israelites did, and it's unique. You go into the Hebraic Passover, and it's a family ordeal. It's not an individual, but it's a family ordeal. God ordered that the youngest son not only ask a ritual question, what mean ye by the service, but the service was addressed to him. The youngest of that generation was to ask the question, what mean ye by the service? Something that we go over in our readings, we don't think about because in our setting of communion, it doesn't apply to us. We come in, everybody benefits by being filled with the Holy Ghost, and we come in and we take communion. But something that is so very unique, and as I begin to dig, and, and it talks about the head of the household, and, and as I begin to dig in that some more, and some commentators say, you know what, it, it's not speaking of the father, but it's also speaking of the eldest child is to answer his question, what mean ye by this service? Which tells me that it's being passed on from generation to generation. There is a system in place by ingraining it into the youngest child, it also ingrains into every child thereafter that God can provide. It tells the eldest, I must respond to my siblings and tell them how good God is. And then when they're dead and gone, that same person passes it on. And the next person has to answer, God provided and took care of us. He delivered us out of the hand of the Egyptians. He delivered us once again. God 
is a provider. The service is strictly for the first generation to speak to the youngest and tell them what they need to know and why they do what they do. I've heard it said many times from this pulpit, speaking to visitors, if you're interested in knowing what we do, we would love to have a Bible study with you and explain to you why we worship and why we preach and why we live this way. We will take the time. It is our obligation to share that. It is the obligation to the Word of God to do so. The story of deliverance was then told and its meaning then declared by the eldest. We find in Exodus chapter 12 where it tells the story. But something I want to draw out of this, and young people, listen to me. Ask questions to find out who you really are, not to oppose the authority around you. Questions define you as a person. You get a group of people in the pastor or any environment of, of, of learning and they say, anybody have a question? You always have a question in your mind that's so stupid you don't want to ask anybody else. You're like, there is no way. He may call on me, I'll say, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I don't have anything. Questions define you. You have someone that pipes up and says, what is the square root of? And they rattle it off and... They're, you say, well, man, they're intelligent. They, they're really on this. They're learning something. Questions define us as Christians. When you walk in the pastor's office and you say, do I really have to? He knows exactly where you're going. When you stand up and say, I, I, I don't understand that. Where is that in the Bible? And your attitude and the what's behind it tells everybody what you really mean. But when you walk in the house of God and you talk to Him and the true questions begin to come out, and when you say, God, I'm such a rank sinner, and the song begins to play, who am I? Those are the questions you need to ask. And I don't want to open a can of worms here, but you should question this apostolic way. Not to say, well, this is not relevant anymore and this is not the way you should do it, but so you know it deep down in your heart, Brother Brandon, when those people come with the questions asking the wrong way, saying, you don't have to speak in tongues anymore. Show me in the Bible. Where is that at? You can say, listen, I can show you and I live it and it's real. It's something that speaks to me. It's my lifeline. It, it tells me and speaks to me. Questions are important. We find in Joshua chapter 4, and verse 5, the children of Israel coming over the midst of Jordan, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. Take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a monument unto the children of Israel forever. Parents, when you lose your faith in front of your children, and you stumble and you fall, you're knocking down the monuments you built before them that says this is the way, this is the right way, 
When your children see you act in a way that you shouldn't, you're taking one stone off of another and you're throwing it on the ground. God gives us an opportunity to build those back through a way of repentance. And you walk up to them and say, you know where i done this? I was absolutely wrong. This is the way. You listen to that pastor. He teaches truth and it's right. First Samuel chapter 17. It says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man that killeth this Philistine? Taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should defy the armies of the living God. Verse 34 says, And David said unto Paul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flocks. And I went out after him and smote him, delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. The servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, be as one of them, seeing that he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivereth me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul said unto David, Go, the Lord shall be Lord be with thee. Verse 39 says, And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he is saved to go, for he had not proved it. David said unto Paul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. We find through this story, David was very comfortable walking in what he was comfortable in dealing with. It wasn't his own confidence within himself or confidence within man's armor or what we can put in our hands. But we find that David took them off, says, I have not proved them. Sometimes we wonder, God, why are you not using me? Why am I sitting on a pew doing the same thing over and over again? I just come to church. I want to do something in the kingdom of God. We must find out, have we been proved by his hand? Are we relying too much upon ourselves? books, chicken soup made for the soul, things that just are fluff, but God wants to use his word. There is something that is proven to rely upon, something that every child of God should know, every tool that we should pull out should have this on it. Every time we're in need, we should say this. It's in the name of Jesus. It's a tool we can go back to, Brother Brandon. It's proven. It's one that we can walk up to and say, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do about this disease, but someone walks up and prays for you. They don't say in the name of Brother Riggin. They don't say in the name of some old patriarch, Paul, Peter. They say in the name of Jesus. Words that mean something. The application of Christ. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 13 says, He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, talking him of Elisha, went back and stood by the bank of Jordan when he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God? Of Elijah. And we'd also had smitten the waters. They parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. 
And when the sons of the prophets, which were there to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves on the ground before him. Elijah showed unto him an example of being used of God and trusting in him when given an opportunity to ask of anything to be done for him before Elijah left, he requested a double portion. We find him asking a question. Somebody passed on to the next generation. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Questions that mean something. Questions that change your life. If you didn't ask these questions, you'd still be standing on the other side of the waters with nowhere to cross. The double portion is that which denotes the portion of a father, which was the right of the eldest son. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Elijah, Elisha therefore asked for twice as much as Elijah's spirit that should be inherited by any other, the son of the prophets. He simply claimed to acknowledge be acknowledged as Elijah's firstborn spiritual son. He said, listen, whatever he has, I want more. Whatever the power of that God that he serves, I want more. Questions that mean something. Every one of us have an opportunity to exercise the power of God. Every one of us can call on the name of Jesus at any time. Every one of us have the opportunity as a service such as this this morning to be benefactors and say, God, I've been living well below my means. I want to exercise my inheritance. I want to allow God to work in my life. I want him to be one that says, listen, I can be everything you need, the comforter, the healer, and on and on as we go. We find that other people ask questions, and it was for the wrong reasons. Parents... And I begin to get them and as children come to us. And some of the parents that have some older children, I'm sure that you've had them say, why do I have to do this? And our response of, because I said so, is just not good enough. If I could admonish you, I'm guilty of it. We are all probably guilty of it. Take the time and tell them why. Don't just say, you know what, it's because that's where we go to church. It's because that's what our pastor currently preaches. Take the time. Pass it on from generation to generation. Tell them what it takes to be a true Christian. Not the ones you work with that are out partying last night, tonight, trying to get their hangovers off. They're not the Christians. Tell them how to be a true Christian. Walk upright and godly. Show people this is how you live. This is how you conduct yourself. Questions that mean something. There's a famous man that asked a question for the very wrong reason. Pilate questioning Christ. John chapter 18 and verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus. And said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered this very simple question. Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus then answered and said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, 
then would my servants fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, every one that is of truth heareth my voice. Verse 38, Pilate then asked this question. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And then he had said this, he went out and again to the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But when he had, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried, they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate asked the question, What is truth? Truth is something that we have come to love. When we write it out and we spell it, it means something more than just a word. I find myself, when I speak of truth in reference to God, and it's capital T. Give it the reverence that it deserves. And it's not the little g God. It's one that is the Almighty. It speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. Truth. What we preach and teach and strive to live. Pilate's response is cynical and fatalistic. What is truth? He gets in the last word. Have you ever had somebody in your life that has to have the very last word? You can even point it out and say, well, you always have to have the last word. They say, well, no, I don't. They have to have the last word. He is saying nobody really knows what truth is. Truth for you may not be the same as truth for me. I have heard these Greek philosophers wrestle with that issue to no avail. You will never find this thing called truth in the messed up world we live in, is what Pilate's saying. He's, if you could say he's insulted, you have someone that is addressing the king and say, are you a king? So are you saying that I'm a king or does somebody else tell you that? Jesus is turning the question back to him and asking him a question with a question. We find that Pilate's insulted, walks out on the Passover. And we know that we must have this missing link if we could. We have to have this happen on the Passover or else we don't have the Passover of Christ, the application of a sacrifice. We find that Jesus Christ is the Passover. We read through the Old Testament, we find where Abraham and his descendants supplied the blood. They supplied the sacrifice that was applied on the Passover. In the New Testament, we find that there's nothing real of revelation, but we find that Christ is the blood. But something that I want to draw our attention to, we find, and I'll read through seven, several passages of Scripture in John chapter 13, and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. We find in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25, 
believe he was there this last week, when Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, it is I, and he said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, where we get our communion from. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. We preach that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you already or you really are unleavened, for, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Verse 8 says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not the old leaven, the leaven of the malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We piece the story all together of Jesus Christ becoming our Passover lamb. We focus on it. It's a beautiful story. Without it, we're just speaking words, and it's just a church full of people. It's not a church. It's just any old building. We find that we are benefactors of the Passover. We being the first generation through the second Adam, we read in Scripture, we find that the first Adam was in the garden. The second Adam was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled Everything that was to come, everything that was prophesied, Christ wrapped up into himself, and we are spared by his blood, not by anybody else's. We could come in and we could sacrifice an animal on the altar today. It would be absolutely meaningless because there was only one sacrifice. It was on an old rugged cross. That's the blood that is applied. That's the blood that means something. That's the blood that we say, God, wash over me. Cleanse me, make me whole. That's the blood that we sing about. The old Andre Crouch song, The Blood. It's amazing. It just, when I think about it, when we sing about it, I begin to thank God. It was His blood. It wasn't nobody else's. It wasn't anybody else that can come in here and spill their blood. And we thank of people who give up their lives for our freedom we have for the United States, but... We say, oh, it's how great, and we're very patriotic, but sometimes we as Christians are more patriotic than we are faithful to the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can get more emotional about the battle hymn of Republic than we can about singing a song about Jesus. Sometimes we get so emotional we'll go to a parade and we'll miss outreach because we want to see someone walk down the street with an American flag. I promise you, even if we did not have the religious freedoms we have in this great nation, God would still be here and take care of each and every one of us. Even if we had to meet in private and secret in a basement with no lights and, and talk in a whisper, I promise you God would meet us there every time. He is more than any flag. He is the standard. He is the one we should worship and adore, not something else. We're first generation we also, being the youngest, have an obligation to ask a question. If you can't tell the devil who you are and the reason that you're a child of God, then you haven't partaken of the Passover. You haven't taken and said, God, apply your blood to me. To maybe explain it a little easier, the Word of God has scriptures. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 
Beloved, now we are sons of God. He's speaking to everybody. We are, we are the lineage of Jesus Christ. We are in, we are in the tribe, if you may say. We are the ones that we can say, Daddy, and He's there. We are the ones that we are allowed to say, He is my heavenly Father. Now, no other children other than my own can call me Father. But we all have the same opportunity to call Him, He's my Daddy. Now, this world has convoluted, and we have um, so many people and children growing up without fathers and families, and we have it to where it's almost a joke where people say, oh, well, he's nobody. He's just my baby's daddy. Nobody talks about my dad like I can. Nobody says, you know what? He's done so much for me. I can't tell it all. That's why eternity has been placed at the end of our life. So it gives us every opportunity to exercise our right as children of God to say, I want an opportunity to stand before my king and tell him how much I love him. And I want no interruptions. I don't want somebody else saying, go to work. Oh, well, you have this illness. But the Bible says he shall supply all our need. He's going to give us everything we need to be able to walk up to him and say, Dad, it's me again this morning. I know it's early and I'm a little tired, but... I want to tell you just how good you are to me. You know, prayers, and I'm guilty of it myself, prayers are meaningless unless you put meaning behind the words. We get up at 6.30 or 5.30, whatever time, and you kneel down and you pray. If it's just words to appease an action, don't expect the result. But when words are said, God, I'm not asking you to be my personal Savior. That's just meaningless words that are not in the Word of God. But I'm asking you to be my Savior, my Lord, my hope, my only thing. Everything that I hinge my life on, everything that I say that I am, you give me the hope. You give me the strength to get up every morning. You are my Heavenly Father. You're not just a figurative. You're not just a pennant I put around my neck and, and people walk and put it on the back of their, their car and have the little fish and the symbol. But I tell you, He's more than that, given the opportunity to prove Himself. You can say I want him to be my personal Savior, but let him be your God, your strength, your provider, your Jehovah. Let him be what he needs to be, and I promise you, you'll never say, oh, he's just my personal Savior. I want everybody to know who my God is. He's not personal to me. He's everybody's a part of the family. Everybody is sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. He's not just mine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, not made up words that someone says, say these words, but it's your God saying, I'm going to come and touch you, and I'm going to prove that I'm your God. And he fills you with the Holy Ghost. All things are become new. Our girls, Janessa and Haley, we, they came to our house when Haley was two and a half years old and Janessa was three, I'm sorry, seven months old. We picked them up underneath the, at the building, SRS building there on I-35, over the, underneath the 87th Street, SRS. We get a call that says, 
You know what? We got two little girls that was found abandoned in a drug house. No one around. Parents were gone. We found these two little girls. Can you come pick them up? Sister Goff and I, we didn't clean the house and start making beds and changing linens. We dropped everything. We said we'll be there in a few minutes. We drove down the road. We pulled in the parking lot, and there were two little girls. Haley, I can remember her hair just all disarray, white T-shirt she was wearing, covered in stains, absolutely filthy, uh, old, ratty clothes. Janessa, same way, diapers that need to be changed, just nasty, filthy, just abandoned. We said, you know what? Come with us. So social workers helped us load us load the car seats in the van and, and buckled them all in and driving down the road. And Sister Goff and I had a family, a temporary family. No other children at the time. Driving down the road and it was very unique to look back in the rearview mirror and all of a sudden see little girls sitting back there. And today... It was for a long, long, long time. Driving down I-35, as you know, it's one of the main veins of our city. And I used to cringe every time going underneath 87th Street and I-35. Haley would say, point over there and say, that's where you guys got us. She remembers to this day. And Janessa, even though she's young, they know where we got them. They know we're not their real mama and daddy. They know these things. They talk about it. and You hear them playing. But I promise you to this day, there is nobody in this room or in this world that convinced them that I'm not their daddy. Or my wife is not their mom. You know why? Because we're real. When I say I love you and I pick them up in my arms and I pray for them, they're my words that mean something. When she comes and says, Daddy, somebody's picking on me at school, I don't say I don't have time. I say, Honey, tell me all about it. What happened? What's his name? Let's go talk to the teacher. Daddy's taking care of his children. Nobody, even if there are biological donors, could walk up to our door and say, I'm your mama and I'm your daddy. I promise you, our daughters would say, no, you're not. My mama and daddy have provided for me. They have taken care of me. They have been a mama and a daddy to me. They're the ones that tuck me in at night. They're the ones that help pray me through. They're the ones that my daddy baptized me in Jesus' name. While you're living in sin and down in Branson, Missouri, in a burnt-down hotel room high on crack and meth, my daddy was baptizing me in Jesus' name. My daddy was reading me Bible stories. My daddy was praying for me. That's my daddy. I promise you. You should feel the same way about your heavenly father. Christ asks questions for us. Musicians, would you please come? Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, Whom do men say that I am, the son of man am? Whom do men say that I, the son of man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Some say Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom do ye say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon Peter says, You're my Father. He didn't say you're just some distant uh, prophet. You can do some things. You can call on the name of God. But he's saying, You are 
are my father. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's saying, You're my child, and whatever you ask, I will do it. He's saying, you can call me daddy because you're my child. Someone else will come and hear a, a swaying spirit, someone not preaching Christ. And he says, run from them because they're not your daddy. But I tell you, if you ask of anything in my name, I will do it. When you walk to an old rugged altar and you say, God, I'm a filthy sinner. I need to be saved. He will do it. Why? Because he's your daddy. He's the one who loves for you. He's the one who shed his blood for you. He's not your personal Savior. He is your Savior, the Lord, the God, the King of all the earth. He's the creator, Brother Brandon. He's the one that spoke us into existence. Not because he wants to be God, but because he loves me. Can we all stand today? You walked into the house of God today not knowing what you would do. But I promise you. If you can't call him daddy and it means something, we need to find us a place to pray. If you can't say he's my heavenly father, I don't need to have a pastor be my father. But I tell you, I don't need to go to him and say, will you pray to God for me? Will you go to Mary for me? I promise you, God says, come all ye who are heavy laden. And I, not your pastor, not your priest, not your, your nun or anybody else, but I, who? Jesus Christ. We'll give you rest. If you've tried it all these years and you're still wondering, what am I going to do with my life? God's saying, come this morning and I will give you rest. He wasn't speaking to authorities in other churches and saying, I want you to filter this down to the people, the peon, the peasants, the ones that come and worship and drop their money in. But he's saying, I want this word to go to each and every nation, every tongue, every Jew, every Gentile. They must know the word of God. They must respond to the word of God. I am their heavenly father. God is the application of Christ, the Passover lamb that has been slain. Let us pray and talk to him today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master. God, you see each and every soul that's here today. God, you see every